Welcome back to Emergency Services, the call-in show where we'll pull you out of the emergency of the heart that you find yourself in. I understand we have a caller on the line. Is that right? Go ahead and patch him through. Hello, is this emergency services? Yeah, you're on emergency I, services. I, I need I need your help. I need your help. Um, um, Hi, um, slow down just a I, little bit. Okay, tell me your name. Okay, um, uh, my, my name is Jeff uh, Schwartzman. Hi, Hi Jeff. Uh, I, so I welcome to emergency services. Can you can, can you send someone out? I, I, I this is it's really it's really it's really bad. I'm Jeff, will you please I'm, just slow down a little bit and tell me what's happening? Okay, uh, uh, there's, there's smoke everywhere. It's oh, there, there's, there's fire. I, I already hear how much you're blaming yourself for this situation. Well, it's, I mean, it's, I left the pond, so, but, but, the, like, I, I think, oh, shit, it's, 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 it's really on fire. It's, uh, can you please send, Jeff, it's, uh, I need, I need a, a, a fire engine? I understand or, uh, that uh, uh, a lot of times we want to turn that anger inward the way you're doing it right now. But I really, really, my heart goes out to you in this situation. I think everyone here, right, audience? We've all been in this situation where you've made one little mistake and I, all you can do is blame yourself over and over for I, it. I'm in this situation. I can. You, I need you to send a fire truck to this situation. Oh, Jeff. I need you to please. Uh, if this, only it were so simple. Isn't you've that gotta right? you got to help me. You've got, oh, Isn't that oh, right, Jesus audience? Christ. I'm going to look. Oh, God, I'm going to lose everything. I, I don't. Everything seems to be falling apart, doesn't it? Well, the ceiling just... Here's what you the, need the to do. The kitchen ceiling just fell on... It's the... Oh, I God. I need you to close oh God, your oh eyes God. and take deep breaths. I take really deep breaths. Okay. Are you breathing? <laughs> There's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of smoke. You gotta I, let that all clear out. Uh, but, It'll all so just go. Should I... Do, so just, should, take, should, just should remember, I down? slow, I, deep breaths. Am I, am I supposed to in through through the nose, out the mouth. <laughs> Now, I, what you I, need to do I, is visualize a house, I, a house of I, the heart, I, that's not on fire. I, Are you getting... <gasps> is it happening? <gasps> I can tell you're a lot calmer now. Jeff, I really want to thank you for calling in, and I'm really glad we were able to save another life today. Join us next week. Next is the crapshoot. Cheers. L'chaim. We, uh, you, you just showed up and we, we got right down to it. Everybody marched down to my basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Josh, by the way. I'm Jesse. We, we, we recorded the basement. We didn't march yeah, down here just to yeah. kill me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not just. No. Uh, but you, you came in. We, we, I got out of the game of Rocket League I was in. We came mm-hmm. downstairs. We started recording. And, uh, and here we are. And, and we briefly discussed possible recording subjects. Uh, which we don't always do, but uh, as it happens, you showed up and I gave you a hug and we discussed briefly whether or not people are comfortable with hugs because we're yeah. okay with hugs, but we're, we're okay, okay with, with hugs. hugs. And uh, and you are from California and you were saying you were sort of associated with uh, like Northern California as like maybe a hippie hugging culture. Yeah, I don't know that there's much of a story here except that just I everyone in Northern California hippie culture hugs all the time. See, and the thing and that I think what it came the, up in the thing that I think is interesting is I think there is a lot of variation in hug culture, but I associate it with like at a familial level rather than a mm. regional level. Like you know, I've got a I've got a fairly huggy family, and you know, a sort of 
sort of hippie heritage-ish to my family, but not like crazy hardcore hippie, just like hippie-ish in their college and, you know, 20s sort of valence to to mm-hmm. my parentage. Um, but I like a hug. I, I, hug. Hugging is nice, but I don't want to hug someone who's uncomfortable with a hug. And so it's there is that thing where you have to sort of navigate does this person want to be hugged or do they want to not be hugged? Right. And you don't want to hug someone who doesn't want to be hugged. And, and that is, I think a slightly tricky thing to navigate. Because, Some people really don't like it. Yeah. They no, really no there, there, there's people who are like very much, you know, like, no, no, no. Thank you for this unmediated volunteering of me to be involved in this, like, you know, intimate personal contact. Yeah. Like it's not like, not that they think hugging is anything specific to worry about it, but it's just like, you know, no, you're fucking invading my personal space in a way that we need to, you know, right. You're much more of an established thing about. You're pressing a lot of your body against yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When you look at it that way in the kind of the Vulcan way, it, uh, it is weird, but I mean, I don't know. So it's kissing. I don't know. Well, yeah. And I kiss everybody. I know we, the street, we, we were just ki- yeah. making out before we started uh, recording. Um, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's good. I, I think it's good to have a kind of a physical greeting that's like more than I would do with my boss. Yeah. To, like you, they, to do with you your friends start, or yeah. people you actually care about or love. Well, And, and I think I want to think, talk about a little bit because like, I don't think this is like groundbreaking or crazy stuff to contemplate, but, but it is this sort of an interesting aspect of this. There's, there's being open to hugs and then there's the question of the pacing of hugs. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a thing like we don't hug every time we see each other, but no. we see each other fairly, re, you know, frequently. Sometimes we get right to the sex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being serious, Jesse. Oh <laughs> sorry, my God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a sociological discussion. Okay. <laughs> well, but no, no, seriously, it is interesting. Like, 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 like I would never be like, oh, why is Jesse hugging me? But at the same sure. time, we seem to have a fairly like reasonably in tune sense of like how long it's been since we've seen each other to, Hey, give a hug or what sort of like, you know, sure. if we know either of us has been dealing with some weird shit, then maybe that would like bump the hug up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that. if I see my family, I'm probably going to hug my mom pretty much every time I see her. Cause she's my mom, you know? And like the, the fact that there is definitely sort of a process of sort of selecting for whether it's time for a hug or not, uh, which is not something I get intellectual about, but it's something that obviously I think about, you know, and, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing, mm. like that there is this specific sort of unspoken, probably bilateral negotiation of whether or not it's time for a hug. Uh, and depending on, you know, your relationship with a person, to some extent, one person going for the hug is enough to say, oh, well, it's obviously time for a hug mm-hmm. and that's fine. But it's probably possible for one person to go for the hug in a way that even though they're your friend who you would hug, you're still like, really? We're going for a hug now? Like not maybe in a, yeah. it's a bad way, but still in a, oh, that's not the call I was going to make sort of way. Right. And, you know, put the poor person who has to try and pull the ripcord when the other person's already committed to the hug. Yeah. That's yeah, a you, tough one. Yeah. And, and at that point, you're sort of like, if you're going for the hug and they don't want to, yeah. you might be sort of aware that they don't want to, even as they're trying to not put you on the spot about yeah. not wanting It's complicated stuff. It's interesting. I think, you know, and there's there's a thing. So here's the thing. Mm. Uh, when you first see someone on a given day, you might say, if you see them in the morning, good morning. If you see them again later that morning, you are not going to say good morning, right? Like if you did that, that'd be weird. You'd be like, Hey, good morning. First time you see someone. Mm-hmm. And then like two hours later, Hey, good morning. Yeah. If again, someone did you know? it to me, I would assume they forgot they had seen me already. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a very specific sort of, there's a sense of 
like number of times and it's a singleton sort of operation. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's the same thing as with hugs, but we don't hug as often, generally speaking, as as people go like certainly like the good morning thing applies a lot more to like a work situation where you are unlikely to be hugging anyone except for rare circumstances. Sure. Uh, but it's the same sort of thing where it's like, is it time for a good morning? And you can sort of lay out that rule like, well, you say good morning once and then after that you say hi or hi again or how you doing or you just nod or you just avoid eye contact depending on your specific, you know, social interaction style. Uh, also, I didn't turn off the heat because it's fucking cold. So anybody who hears the heat spinning up, oh, we're just great. Run with it. This is happening uh, again. Yep. But okay. uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's an interesting thing. This complex, this is a like complex sort of set of social dances that we do without, I think, thinking about it a whole lot. Like I, most of the time, if I'm going to give someone a hug, I just give someone a hug. I don't mm-hmm. think, what does it mean? Is this a correctly paced hug or anything? It's just, it's just, it just happens. So, yeah. I think that sort of thing is really interesting. There's probably boatloads of actual legitimate sociological research on this stuff. Sure. But I'm not going to. Sure. Do you ever try and upgrade a handshake into a hug? I have once or twice. Like you, you're, you're holding hands and then you kind of press your body into the shared hand thing with your chest and you wrap your other arm around their back and slap them yeah, twice. Yeah, once, once or twice that's happened. And that's I think that's mostly happened when I thought maybe we were going to go for a hug and we didn't. Mm. And we just panicking and shaking. When but you're I like, I'm going to give that, my fucking hug. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I think it's usually had a sense of mutuality where like we're both probably navigating it. But maybe, sure. maybe it's just me thinking, you know, this should have been a hug. And they're like, I was fine with a handshake. Yeah, What's that's that on? is the unfair thing about being the hugger, though, is that you get an un- unearned sense of mutuality. I'll bet more often than you realize. True. Yeah, because uh, if they hug you, then you're like, yeah, obviously. Right, obviously, they, they wanted that hug. And they're just so like, when much. is this over? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I regret this. He's just he wrapped his fucking arm slabs around me, and it's literally trapped in his embrace. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, sure. I, I hope I've been respectful in people that have surprised with a hug um but yeah i don't know i'm a big softy i I don't know i'm 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 kind of like a affectionate guy i guess i don't know well and that's the thing i think i think probably even though i understand that there are people who are not huggers and probably occasionally i put someone who's not so inclined to hug into a hug situation i think there's something about the nature of a hug outside of specific weird creepy circumstances yeah that people sort of understand the the sentiment there and so to some extent if you just sort of enthusiastically go for the hug a lot of people are going to be willing, even if they wouldn't have gone for the hug, to be like, oh, "Okay, it's the hug. Right. We'll have the hug. Fine." Yeah, you know, and and you know, they might not initiate on their own, but they'll probably be okay with it. But then, as a hugger, I would right. think that, right? You know, maybe there are people like every time that's happened, maybe they've been like, "What the fuck, right. man?" So I don't know. Hugs—they're right. tricky. Yeah. And then you lay your head on their shoulder and start gently weeping yes, while you yes. slowly tighten in your embrace. Yes. Right? And That's like normal for and every they just hug, stiffly right? Stiffly pat you and say, Oh, it's it's oh gosh. It's it's which is which means, you know, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna yeah, be and you're right. grinding your right. teeth yeah. together as tears stream down yeah. onto their shoulder. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. what that's like what you do with I feel like we could have worked this slightly into like a bit. Yeah, like maybe. A pre <laughs> a pre show bit about uncomfortable hugging. We'll never know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> God, I thought I had one other thing about hugs, but I guess not. Uh, Should we go to an early break? (laughs) Sure. All right. (laughs) 
local fry, and we're back. Hello. Uh, I like I like a vocal fry. I gotta say, all the weird sort of like weird uh, bullshit over the last five years about vocal fry. Weird sexist backlash against yeah, female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Female, yeah, female vocal fry in particular. Vocal fries, it's great. It's just a weird fucking thing you do with your throat is what it is. Huh. And it, you know, uh, it breaks things up a little bit, you know? <laughs> it's pretty subtle. I don't think that I really had, I isolated it in my mind as a as a thing that some people do and some yeah, don't well, I think, until I really had to, like, listen for it. You yeah, know, I think it, it's totally out there and it's just in the mix. Because I was like, what the fuck are the people even complaining about? Yeah, if, if you're not doing it specifically as, like, a joke about it, it's right. just, like, it's in there. And then if someone has a specific sensitivity to it, fine. But, like, get the fuck over it, basically. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think of vocal fry as, like, the cheap version of what, I think we've talked about this before, what I wish I could do, like, with my singing voice. Like, the Kurt Cobain, like, you know... Mm thrashed sounding voice that doesn't involve literally thrashing your throat. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that was awesome. So vocal fry is like kind of the closest thing there is to it. Sure. But, uh, they had, they had a song that was, uh, that was a part of a split with the Jesus lizard and the song was called moist vagina. And at the end of the song, <laughs> he does what you were just doing. The, uh, thing for like a long, long time See, on one breath. I discovered vocal fry as like a kid as just a weird thing I could do with my voice. And I mm. thought it was super, and, and like, you know, if you really push it, you can get vocal fry down from like, sort of like the, the like low idling chainsaw noise down to like just individual pops. You can like, mm. and as a kid, I thought that was great as just like a dumb thing to do when you were bored. It's kind of like a weird, like throat massage, yeah. self administered throat massage thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I uh, don't know. I mean, it's on the spectrum of things that really upset me about rec- like v- recording voices. It's pretty low. Yeah. No, no, and no. And I'm guilty of way worse things than yeah, vocal there, There's like, like what, what would you say are your top five things that annoy you about vocal recordings? Like wet mouth, like smacking, and so you're just gonna do them like as that? I as yeah. I narrate. No, I'm just it's illustrative. My misery. I'm okay, I, people know what wet mouth sounds like. I like, think. Um, hurry up! I'm just gonna do it. Stop doing it. It's really awful. <laughs> how how can we get the most people to stop listening to this podcast? I don't early know. On? We we achieve new heights every episode. Yeah, I don't know. There's the, there's that. There's um just bad EQing that that makes one person's voice really shrill. But you can't turn it down because the other person's voice is too oh, low. Oh, sure. Especially if you like, if you're you're on the same track, you know, and that's the yeah. problem. That's like we we have bleed between our mics, but at least we have two separate mic tracks that have uh, our voices on them primarily. Yeah, so you can, can nudge them a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's even then you you'd get a lot more mileage out of compressing the mix than you do out of uh, individually raising yeah. and lowering the separate. But tracks. you could EQ the second track, like like if right. so, if somebody has a lot of high frequency or something, you can cut that down on their side. Uh, can I throw one in? Plosives? Yeah. Plosives are a big Plosives problem. are big. I say as the person who doesn't have the pop screen on his mic, I know. an asshole. <laughs> I know. But, the uh, ironic thing about plosives is it's got the put at the beginning. I, I have I have this impression that is probably completely unrealistic and self-flattering that I've gotten better about managing my plosives mm. on the human side. Like, right. Like I just try and keep them from being plosives uh-huh. so much, you know, but uh, you're the one who actually listens to our podcast ever record it. So. Sure. Uh, you would be a better arbiter, but that's a big thing. That's a tricky thing. Like someone who doesn't know what they're doing on a mic, especially, right. can just like really get like a Popeye. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of a problem. <laughs> Someone's really drunk and upset about Popeye. Yep. <laughs> he is the worst. What he is. <laughs> 
Oh no! Like nose breathing down the mic. Nose breathing. That's is really bad. That's tricky. That that's an issue. Like that that happens with headsets too. Like with a mic, I think it's not as bad because they usually don't have their like nose right up on like mm-hmm. uh like a standalone microphone. But with a headset, it's really easy for someone to have the mouth part of the headset just a little too high and their nose like nails it on yeah. every exhalation, and that's yeah. a problem. Um, but on an actual standalone mic, like off mic discipline is a tricky thing. And we've had this a couple times with guests sure. where it's tricky. Like, like I feel like you and I are both really used to the idea of more or less talking steadily into a mic and keeping your head in one place. But it's really easy for someone who doesn't like have that built in as a skill set to like, if they're talking to you across the table and then maybe me off to the side, you know, off whatever, 45 degrees, they'll be like, hey, I'm talking straight in the mic and now I'm just abruptly talking not in the mic. I'm talking mm-hmm. over here to you because I'm making eye contact with you because that's what human beings do when they're, oh, but but now I'll talk to Jesse again. Right. That is like, that's the, and you can't do it. Like it, fixing that in the mix is fucking torture. Right. That's where you get into automation tracks and these like, like many, many, many hours of work to fix a simple thing. Um, These are the reasons yeah. why our podcast is a sterling <laughs> example of perfection. Um, yeah, I mean, my mic discipline is so-so at best. I give myself a C, but... You're aware of it, though. I think you're pretty con- conscientious. I, th- I think you're a B-plus student who gives himself a C because okay. he's, like, hyper-aware of it. <laughs> um, Whereas I give myself an A because I'm like, obviously I'm perfect, so, you know. But with guests, it is tough, and, it, and it's especially so because you you don't want to ground them too much because yeah you don't want to put them ill at ease by making them self-conscious about right it. they they start doing that thing you're saying they start doing it once they kind of forget that they're being yeah. recorded as and that's where you want people to be because yeah. you don't want people to hypersensitive and listening to every word they say and like basically everything i did for the first year and a half of recording myself <laughs> where it's just like you're like the first time you heard yourself on your answering machine and you just want to like jump out of a window yeah like that having that feeling constantly for an entire year yep. i wonder if the solution is to like x y mic guess or not quite xy but like maybe a, a pair of mics across the arc of where they might move so you can catch them no matter what i don't know what xy miking is uh, xy miking it's a kind of stereo miking uh where you actually generally take two dynamic mics and set them up mm. uh 90 degrees to each other mm-hmm. and so you get sort of like a broad sort of directed like sort of halfway omni-ish field off a couple mics right a little bit of yeah. spatiality yeah and and notionally it can give a really nice sound uh in practice i think it can either sound really great or just sound like one mic or sound shittier than one mic right um, but like xy miking a room xy miking a guitar maybe where you'll sort of like get both the neck of the guitar and the sound hole hmm. uh, it's <laughs> you know it's, it's useful for some things but, sound um, hole is a callback sound um, hole that's my favorite part of a guitar it's the hole the sound comes out of um what's funny because it's also the hole the sound goes into Ooh, yeah it's like sort of it's 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 a it's a wormhole for sound well it's just a hole for sound really Uh it's a sound hole right is what it is Mm -hmm. yeah so you went to hawaii yeah i just got back from hawaii a couple weeks ago um or a week and a half ago Couple weeks, I guess it was a couple weeks. It was recent. It was pretty recently, recently that I got back from Hawaii. Um, we probably would have done an episode sooner, but you went to Hawaii. Yeah, let's pretend that that's true. Yeah, let's say that's it. The trip to Hawaii was great. We went to the Big Island and uh, started on. We landed in Kona at the airport and then headed straight south to South Point area. And then over the next nine days, we kind of just circumnavigated the island. We went around. 
like so, a shitty Magellan. Mm-hmm, like a shitty Magellan. Uh, be a we, good band name. Sh- no, not really. No, no, I don't no. think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a rule of sh- of band names that like everything would be a good band. Okay, so here's the thing. Is, until gonna, that joke gets tired five years ago. Well, no, 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 no. That that'd be a good band name. Is so okay. tired. But the thing is, it's still true. <laughs> That's okay. the thing. Like once it stops being a funny joke, mm-hmm. it just remains a truth. Because here's the thing: if if someone says that'd be a good band name, and you're like, no, that wouldn't be a good band name, you have to stop and back the fuck up. Because you know what? Some of the names of the best, most famous bands ever are shitty band names. The Beatles. That is the that is the kind of band name you would think a twelve year old would come up with. An eight year old maybe. Like really? So it's like the Beatles, like the insect, except for its beat, like a drum beat. How fucking dumb is that? And yet the hugest band in the history of like contemporary American music, like it's well, American music. Yes. Right. Contemporary uh, pop music. Sure. Uh, the Rolling Stones. They named themselves after a fucking line from a Bob Dylan song. Are you fucking kidding me? Like the thing that makes a good band name is the mm-hmm. band having been successful. I think that's true. Like, so that's the thing. Anytime someone says, oh, that's my new band name, it's simultaneously shut the fuck up and also... No, sometimes yeah, it's maybe. good. Sometimes it's good. Usually There's it's There's lots not. of good band names for shitty bands, too. Yes, I just don't like a joke that's so universal that it's never like someone's not doing the joke right. Yeah. Because it's sort of the cards people actually are jokes. doing the joke wrong sometimes. Because, like, no, that wouldn't be a good band name. All you're saying is that's a phrase I haven't heard before yes, that's, or that, something. That, that, that's that's a uh, oh geez. I want to stick a pin in that phrase basically. There, there, there's a specific term for combinations of words that are more statistically uncommon than those two words, uh, just as like you know vocabulary words with their own frequency values. Okay, and I'm trying to remember the name of it because it's basically it's something like statistically unlikely collocations. Okay. Like if you take two words and you take the frequency value of each of those words, you can say this word is used once in every 10,000 English words. And this word is used once in every 20,000 English words. Then just statistically speaking, you might say, well, one in 10,000 times one in 20,000 is one in I don't know, 20 million. I may not be doing the math right, but sure. you multiply them together. That's the likelihood that both words would occur one after the other. And then you take those two words and you say, well, the actual frequency value of these words is one in one million instead of 20 million. That's like 20 times as likely as it should be according to just like, and so there's something about that phrase. And the thing is, that's totally normal. Like there's lots of two word phrases that are way more common than their constituent words would be just occurring randomly together. And those are just fixed phrases like, uh, Motherfucker. If you take the word mother and the word fucker and take the frequency and then take the word motherfucker, right. it's going to be way more common than the likelihood of mother followed by the likelihood of fucker. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's a construction that is common. There's some there's some words that I never hear outside of their constituent oh, yeah. phrase. Yeah. Like, one I just heard right before I left here was uh, redouble your efforts. Yeah. Like I will never redouble hear redouble ever. in any yeah, other context. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, things get bound up in fixed phrases like that. Uh, hoist by your own petard. Mm-hmm. No one says hoist or petard, well, except you, in you that can, phrase. You can hoist the main staff on a boat. Oh, okay. Hoist the main sail. <laughs> sure. I'll give, I'll give you that. But 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 in any case, like sure. clearly, clearly those are, so that's, sure, that's a thing. Sure. That's the thing. Anyway, so you went to Hawaii. Yeah, so I went to Hawaii. It's, all of which is to say I went to Hawaii. 
Um, I had a great time. I um, I was there on uh, Whitney, my partner's uh, family's dime, much uh, b- which I'm extremely grat- grateful for. Is I guess what I'm awkwardly trying to say. All praise to them. Much to my gratitude. That's not a sense. This is this is that's a, a statistically improbable <laughs> sense. Um. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. The 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 only real I don't know what came out of it was at the last minute. So. Okay, let me. <laughs> yeah, I, you thought, are, I thought you there are, was an anecdote here. I'm so distracted by this noise behind just me. Just ignore I'm, the fucking furnace, man. It can't, well, the audience can't, so I can't. I, um, I think they are probably paying <laughs> way less attention to it than we are. They're paying way less attention to this podcast. And we went because her brother was getting married in Hawaii. Pretty small destination wedding. You t- typically don't get two or 300 people out there. So yeah. it was uh, about a dozen people, congregation included. Nice. Congregation is not the right word. Prop, well, is people it a standing and no, oh, no, uh, people, st- people performing the wedding. I don't know included. if congregation's a Catholic thing, but there were congregations, and I grew up Catholic, so <laughs> which is funny because I wanted to say as a Jew, Mazel Tov. Okay, but uh, I'm living a lie. <laughs> they, small, uh, small wedding. They had a, they had arranged this uh, Hawaiian native Hawaiian woman Lahua to perform their wedding ceremony and found out at the last minute that Lahua wasn't a legally ordained minister does that matter uh it does if you want the wedding to be legal well you just get some i haven't i'm a legally ordained minister and you know what made my my sister married when i got her and her husband married signing some paperwork and scrawling in an arbitrary phrase in the uh who are you a minister for thing and it could be different hawaii but but at the same time it may be okay. Anyway. Well, you have to be an ordained minister Basically, if you want to solemnize a wedding. <laughs> I'm going to fuck up the flow of your story. Please continue. That will be the first time. <laughs> um, you have to be an ordained minister with uh, your uh, with uh, some congregation in okay. order to yeah. solemnize a wedding. And uh, Lahua, it turned out, was not. And so they didn't know what to do. And I said, well, it's probably not a big deal. Let's, you know, let's go get a drink. And, let, you know, because I they knew that I had performed weddings before. I was like, well, let me just lend my sm- small expertise. And so I told him, you know, it's most weddings that I have been to, you know, recently have been like, they don't really treat the legal part of it the same way as kind of the social emotional part of it. And a lot of people I know, like just get married by a judge or, a, you know, uh, officer of the peace. Is that the right? Is that what Justin Justice is? Justice the peace. Justice the peace. You know, and that's one thing. And then they have the party and the celebration either before or after. It doesn't matter. I mean, to most people, those are two separate things anyways, getting legally joined in this contract and getting, you know, emotionally joined in the, in the, in the solemn, uh, union of marriage are separate things. So that's one option. You can do, you can get married before you go while you're there or after you get back, you know, at a courthouse. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And they said, well, okay, well, you know, th- think about that. And I said, or, you know, you can, uh, you can find someone who can perform the wedding or you can find someone who will be part of the ceremony and you can still have the thing you wanted to have with Lahua. Uh, but then someone kind of steps in and just does, okay, so now do you, do you, okay, you're done. <laughs> you know, sign on the dotted line type thing, and that can be part of the ceremony as well. So, And, of course, I would be happy to do that if you wanted to just throw me in at the last possible second. I mean, I would do it, sure. And they said, that's what we want. Is that okay? And I said, well, of course. I mean, I'm, uh, it would be a colossal honor. So less than a week from the wedding date, I found out I was going to be performing the wedding. <laughs> 
in front of, you know, my partner's family and everybody. And it went really smoothly, I think. I, I, I tried to write a really, really short, tight, uh, because I, I said, do you want me, do you literally just want me to come up and say, I, do you, do you go ahead? Or I have a format I can kind of work with. It's like 10, 15 minutes. Or, you know, what are you picturing? And they're like, well, I want, we want you to do your thing. You know, have your, do a, your wedding your way. Uh, or your, you know, uh, ceremony your way. So I did some of that, and then the literally the night before, it was, uh, so we don't want 10 minutes, we want five minutes. So the copy <laughs> of this wedding ceremony that I read from is just stricken through 50% by Sharpie. And, and the thing is, like, in theory, that should be it's like, oh, I'll just cut 50%. Right. But, like, mm-hmm. anybody who's done seriously editing on something that they care about as a piece of writing is like, ah, oh, fuck. Right. But it went, it went really well, I thought, and people laughed, and people got emotional, and that's what I want. I want people to laugh, and I want people to get emotional. So. That's awesome. Uh, it worked really well. So That is, um, that is super rad. And that's, at the end of it all, they got married. It was great. Um, that's a way better story than I expected you to tell. I thought you were going to tell a really <laughs> shitty, boring story that I wouldn't care about at all. But instead, I'm a little bit moved and feeling you know, some feels. It was pretty good, and uh, Hawaii was great. Awesome. The end. Good story. back and Jesse's going to blindfold me with something. So um, before this episode, I, I had come up with this idea that we could have like a shared Google Doc where we might throw yeah, topics in. Yeah. And, uh, have and you then, started sharing the Google Doc just with yourself so far? Yeah. It's okay. only me so far. Good. Um, it, it, in the hopes that we could have some structure to the show or yeah, at least like know what we're going to talk we have, about at we have all. We definitely continually struggled <laughs> with the idea of structure on this show. And mostly me making like broad pronouncements about uh, the structure I'm going to introduce to the sure, show, and yeah. then which never materializes. Which is funny because it started with me having a really firm sense of structure that we like failed to adhere to within like three episodes. Right, and it seemed philosophically that the whole project was about not having structure, and yeah. yet I continue to uh, well, no, attempt no, I, to force a grid I think of structure. Back around to it is fine. I, okay. I appreciate that. Like, there's this tension that drives it. I think that um, like a golf cart. Yeah, it would be good to know that we like have something to talk about. A golf cart. Yeah, driving around a golf cart. This podcast is a golf course, uh-huh. and we're on the twelfth hole. You think? I don't know. Well, we made it to the back nine. I, I I don't mean I don't mean to suggest that we're nearing the end per se. I just sure. like in the flow through the given game we're playing. I think we're around the twelfth hole, and and so we're 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 cusping on the third act. Of this particular round of golf. Okay. That makes sense. Philosophical golf. I actually actually sort of understand what you're saying, whether you do or not. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know if I do at all. Okay. Well, I I feel good about it. I'll explain it to you. The words came out of my mouth, and I like looked at them and I watched them go, and I sort of nodded like a cowboy at the end of a movie, thinking, that'll do. Mm -hmm. Get along, little doggies. Yeah. I'm thinking, I think they got a chance. I'm watching those those greenhorns who learned a little something today about cowboying. Right off into the sunset, I'm like, yeah, you know what? They got a lot to learn, but I think, I think they're on their way, and that's what I'm thinking about us as the greenhorns riding away from me as the cowboy into the distance at the end of the movie. But it's really going into the third act, is where that's where I am. That's where I am on it. So the the plot of the movie is wrapping up, but we're you still have another third of yeah. the movie. The, the thought of the to mo- go the, the the plot of the movie within the movie. This is kind of a Mandelbrot western. Right. Is what this is. So you were saying. Right. So you, we still have another third of the movie to go, yeah. but, but the entire like arc of the movie has already been completed. Yeah, the movie's over, but we're okay. going into the third act of the movie. Right. 
within that's, the movie. That's a lot more in alignment of how I see this podcast. Yeah, no, I think that's that, that, that I think sums up basically our structural <laughs> sensibility. It's a, it's a kind of Lovecraftian, you know, topology. Mm-hmm. To that end, to towards the goal of organizing... That, 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 that third act end. Yeah. I uh, created a Google document into right. which we can begin to insert conversational topics right. that's, throughout that's, the week. That's between recording, yes, and uh, and refer because, to it because a week goes by between recording. Yeah, so throughout <laughs> at <the> least <laughs> sometimes the single week more yes. than a week. Maybe it's uh, the as same in week multiple times, four months. Yeah, sort it could like be a Groundhog Day situation. Itself. It's it's like a it's like a Mandelbrot week. So I got as far as creating a document for getting to share it with you and writing one line in it. Yeah. So uh, it better be good, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was okay. it? Okay. Here it is. Thank you for contacting Metafilter. <laughs> you want to talk about that Tumblr blog? I do. And am I wrong that it hasn't been updated in quite a while? It gets updated like once every six months now. Okay. It, but it did get updated regularly. Yeah. It, and it, I'll it bet, got front-loaded is what it got. Yeah, that's, you had saved them up. Yes. Before so, starting the so, Tumblr blog. So I will explain, I guess, the whole situation here for people Now's who the are time to do Metafilter that. readers. Uh, Metafilter is a site that at this point I run. I'm getting used to saying I run rather than I work at because mm-hmm. I've taken it over in the last eight months from founder Matt Howie. Uh, but in any case, for eight years now, going on nine, I've worked there. And we have a contact form like many websites do. But the difference is we actually pay careful attention to it and respond promptly to most of the stuff that comes into it. Because most of the stuff is coming from people who are members of the site. And they're like, oh, hey, I need help with this post I made. Or I have a question about a post I think I remember. Or can you tell me how to do this specific thing on the site? Or I'm having trouble remembering my username or my password. All these sort of daily administrative things. You know, we've got thousands of users and they have questions. But we also get questions to the contact form for people who are not members of Metafilter, don't know what Metafilter is, and just really got to the site by Googling and were confused and went to the contact form in their confusion and continued to be confused. And so they send us emails that there's no chance we're ever going to respond to because they're clearly not meant for us. They're just meant for the void into which this person is shouting. Uh, you know, and I feel far- sorry for some of these people because, like, they're clearly, like, in a bad situation. Like, we got an email today from someone who's trying to find their cat. Like, they want to get their cat back, and he's had their cat in their his apartment for two weeks. How do they get their cat back? And this is, this is like, a micro view into a bad breakup or something. Like, someone broke up with someone else, and the someone else has the cat, and the custody of the cat is not clear, but this person is clearly fucking heartbroken. But we can't help. We don't know this person. They Googled cat help and landed on Metafilter somehow and just wrote the contact form. So it's like, there's nothing to do there. But of the people who are very confused when they come to the contact form, some of them are confused in a way that's like not even particularly sympathetic. It's just like the person who's trying to get into porn and somehow they Googled like porn and found Ask Metafilter <clears throat> and he- said, how I get in porn. Here is here is that very post. Subject. How I practicing for porn star? How I practicing for porn star is the subject of uh, this entry. The body of which is, I want to become porn star. So how I enter your center in porn, <laughs> and am new here in London, and also help me how I practicing. So this is a guy. We're. We can't. 
we can't help with this and it's it's well I, I mean i think you could I mean, i'm not in london <laughs> i can't help help but uh so several years ago i started a tumblr blog specifically because i'd spent i'd spent a couple years actually after sometime after i started working for metafilter i noticed we're getting a lot of weird contact form stuff and i started categorizing it just like with gmail labels and then at some point i was like I should just make a blog for this. And so I went back through like a year of that stuff and just like made a bunch of blog posts, like several hundred, I think, uh, for this blog called Thank You for Contacting Metafilter, which I think is at shitmycontactformsays.tumblr.com. It is exactly that. Uh, me and Justin couldn't agree about the name, so we split it between the URL and the title. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I put all this stuff up there. And now, like ever since we put it up, like I've updated it infrequently because it's like I don't think about it and we got through the backlog but uh, but yeah, no, it's there's a crazy amount of weird shit you get if you have a like reasonably popular website. You get a, every day you're gonna get several weird random spam stuff like you know people who want to sell you idiosyncratic shit, people who want to help you with your advertising. Like once a week at least I get <laughs> a lot uh, of people want to help you with yeah, your advertising. Yeah, no, like, like like once a week we get an email from someone saying, hey, you know, a video introduction to your site. Hey, I really enjoy your website, metafilter.com. <laughs> and I was thinking it could really help you monetize metafilter.com if you had a great video introduction. We do video introductions. We could make five-minute video introducting metafilter.com. You know, it's like, the cookie cutter is shit you've ever seen. And but it's, it's funny because more than half of them, they forget to even replace name of website oh, yeah, goes here with metafilter.com. There's all or these, the one, yeah. my favorite one from yesterday where they signed off your name slash American alias. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of, there's so many templates that get revealed in badly administered spam <laughs> accounts that, yeah, like they will send you the uncompleted, like mad lib version of the shit they're supposed to fill in for you. I was like, you weren't going to be convinced if they wrote, you know, hello, I am, Jennifer, but like you know when they say I am bracket your name close bracket. Yeah, it's it's amazing mm-hmm. how much bullshit out there. Yeah, so yeah, we don't update that too much because like I sort of covered all the ground when I did that first big backlog of them and after that mm-hmm. there's like very little new comes along. I mean, we no, still get plenty of spam, but like none of it like strikes me as like wow, I haven't seen that before. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of a tricky thing where like once we first launched the blog, that was kind of the immediate death of the blog. Well, I think you should chum the waters a little bit. Like maybe, maybe. you should respond to some of these or maybe just uh put just post some of them to the front page because that's you what know, they want. I don't I don't really want to be an <laughs> asshole. And that's the thing. Like I think it'd be I think we could get a little bit of mileage out of more publicly talking about the dumb shit we get, but at the same time, there's no way to do that without kind of saying, Hey, look at this confused person. Let's make fun of them. And that feels like a very gawkerish sort of thing to that's do. That's true. And I know on some of these I can tell you're just walking a line of like i don't want to make fun of someone who just doesn't know how a computer works yeah and there's and, like, stuff, and so i know there's a lot that doesn't make yeah there's it stuff that just yet. doesn't get there at all because it's like it's just sad it's even like though it would be funny to yeah. many people it's also like you don't want it to be the at the expense of a well-intentioned person yeah or like a mentally ill person sure. or a person in dire straits like you know we've get weird like laugh out loud funny emails like if you just the absurdity is very funny, but at the same time, it's someone who's just basically desperately reaching out from a shitty situation. And sure. You, you kind of don't want to say, ha ha, this person is in dire straits and has poor communication skills and doesn't right. know how to find the resources they need for the terrible situation they're in. <laughs> Get it? You know, it's like, eh, so it's, yeah, right. it is a weird thing to try and navigate. And yet there's also other ones that are um, such as this, where the subject is, I have pain in my pants. <laughs> Oh, I remember that one. And the uh, entirety of the 
message itself is hi. <laughs> I think one of the tags on that I put was hi yourself. Hi yourself. Yep. <laughs> That's the other thing is that um, the tags you put on these are by far my favorite I've, part. I, I really feel um, like... Uh, you, this one is tagged medical advice and then tagged or maybe just an unconventional pickup line. I enjoy, I enjoy putting tags on Tumblr posts. I, I feel like I wish that tags were more consistently surfaced in a consistent way on Tumblr because I feel like it's their strongest aesthetic component. Like Tumblr is so reductive in its overall information presentation mm-hmm. approach. Like reblogging a Tumblr post, commenting on a Tumblr post, these things are all really kind of lousy in a way that seems like almost its strength because it's so lousy. It's an idiosyncratic way, but, but then tags are presented totally dependent on the style of a given Tumblr blog and kind of aren't visible on an RSS feed by default for a hmm. Tumblr blog. Uh, so it's, it's a weird thing where it's like there's this massive aesthetic value to the tags, but it's really inconsistently presented and it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer really. Tumblr is a whole thing. Yeah. Tumblr and MySpace and live journal and the whole, the whole history of various blogging platforms is a, is a gigantic conversation that I'm not sure we should get into right now because I'm not sure I'm going to do it justice, but uh, it's definitely a thing. I think part of the thing that, killed that blog for me was realizing that like the presentation of tags is so inconsistent and I was really loving tagging shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I started out being very taxonomical about it and like I had like a set of 20 or 30 tags that were my consistent tags and then I realized it's when I mix it up that I really enjoyed it. Right. And I mean, there's tags like FYI, which is a class of message where it's like, and what is the question? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when it's just an arbitrary thing. Like yeah, I like people writing stuff penis. to us, it doesn't seem to be like <laughs> they're just shouting at the wall, and I happen to be the wall. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's a hard thing to communicate. I feel like it's difficult to communicate what I like about that blog without like having a very specific context for it for MetaFilter, and then the non-MetaFilter getting people writing to the contact form. You know, it's a difficult thing to communicate the specific feeling of outside of that context. Uh, which um, arguably means it's terrible podcasting, but I've enjoyed revisiting it. Here, yeah, so. but you know, it's you look, it look it up. It's quite good, and yeah. and I, and I think that um, one, if I can find the one or two other ones, I, I think that uh, some of these are 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 Im, uh, improved by a dramatic reading. If I could pull an <laughs> appropriate yes, if, if, one if, off, if you Google "thank you for contacting Metafilter," you should find this blog. Uh, it should be it should be locatable. Here's a post on. Uh, Thank you for contacting Metafilter. The subject is stupid tech people. (laughs) If you are trying to sell something, stop making it difficult on educated and superior intelligence people. We really don't know where you get off asking for personal passwords. Since you are not a bank or the treasury, get real or get lost. Fucking touche. Tagged. Getting either real or lost. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was that. I'm sure I, I had such a nice time writing that tag. I was like, "This is this is a good moment. I'm enjoying this." Should we take a quick break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break. I think we should take a quick. Should break. we take a quick break? No. Okay.
and we're back, and we're talking about Star Trek Enterprise. Well, I'm sorry, just Enterprise, because they didn't use the word Star Trek. The word. Mm-hmm. The word Star Trek. This is we're off to a great start. <laughs> Nailing it. <laughs> Nailing it. Anyway, Enterprise. Enterprise, Enterprise was the uh, most recent television series of Star Trek, mm-hmm. starring until Scott next year, Count supposedly. Bacula. Yeah, but we aren't there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. The most recent, actually extant. Mm-hmm. Star Trek television franchise starring Scott Count Bakula. Yes, sir. And several other people. Uh, several several other highly forgettable people. Yes. In, in a prequel television series about the early days of the like pre-Federation, like Earth first starting to go out in the stars. Like the idea is Earth launched its... Zephram Cochran launched his warp vessel as seen in the film First Contact. First Contact. And, uh, and they met up with the Vulcans... And from there, the Vulcans were like, oh, hey, Earthlings have warp technology. I guess this will start the grand voyage into the stars for them. But let's paternalistically, you know, control that. And so then many decades go by. And then eventually the Earthers get a fly off into space for realsies with some Vulcan monitoring. And right. They have they have they kind of have, they have the shepherding presence on yeah, the ship. Yeah. yeah. So uh, by Julie way, Blaylock plays by uh, way of this woman who is yeah. like basically the seven of nine. of Yeah. Enterprise. The sexy Vulcan lady right. uh, who goes They're, off with right, Count Bacula and Boobs uh, McGee in the cat suit. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, and so they go off and they explore the universe. And so we were talking about here. You're just starting to watch this. And I don't want to spoil things sure. unnecessarily, but I do want to reassure you that it does get a little bit better as time goes on. Because it starts off, in my opinion, really fucking rough. Like, the first six episodes or fo- so of the first season are really like, hey, look, a new network got their hands on Star Trek. And they fucked it up real bad because they want to get ratings. So let's have a lot of weird, sexy shit and some really shitty Star Trek stories. Was it the first? See, this is I, I, I've been hopping in and out as uh, Whitney watches it a little more consistently than I do. Um, was and so I'm kind of drawing partly on my memories of watching it when it was new, just for one or two episodes, and just not liking it all. Sure. Was it the pilot where they get like beamed back onto the ship, but then the sexy woman and the sexy man have to like wipe disinfectant th- gel over each other's naked bodies for five minutes? It was either minutes? the pilot or the second episode, and yeah. it was really yeah. It was like, hey, you know what would be good <laughs> if you had to like strip down your skivvies and then rub each other mm-hmm. with with quote-unquote disinfectant and it was really right. fucking blatant like this was like upn wants people to watch this for the sex is that the network that it was on? i think it was upn yeah remember upn they existed <laughs> at the time uh and so next generation deep space nine voyager were on i want to say like nbc probably someday. you know it was paramount owned and then nbc was airing it and and I feel like Enterprise is when like they've really sort of mixed it up, but they may mix it up a little bit with the network with Voyager. Even I don't remember exactly. Mm. The point is, sure. the first few episodes of the first season in particular are really fucking rough, I think. And then it sort of straggles along for a couple seasons, and then like the third season, they start saying, "You know what? What if we actually tried to do anything other than every <laughs> Star Trek series ever, but worse?" And so they start to like you know actually develop some continuity for the show, and it gets kind of interesting. Like it's not, it's still not by far my favorite. Like Deep Space Nine, I think is still my favorite Star Trek, mm-hmm. but but it gets better. Like they start to actually play with stuff. There's there's some dumb stuff in there, but there's also a lot of stuff that's like kind of oh okay, I kind of get where you're going with this, and better than some of the worst stuff that Voyager did for sure. Like most series star trek series it looks so good on paper and it's such a good idea yeah 
Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, Deep Space no. Nine was like, well, here, here's how we get upset the entire thing is have the it be a stationary yeah. ship. And then and I think, events I think, happen th- around and through it. I think Deep Space Nine got closest to its potential on paper. And then Voyager is about, well, what if we just entirely cut everything off from the Federation? Yeah. And it's truly like Which a ship, a, you know, well, sailing. I, Voyager was a humongous pitch. Yeah. And I loved the idea of it. And I really wish they'd followed through on it. Well... I think Voyager is becoming one of my favorite shows ever. I, I think, really think that I didn't give it enough of a chance when I, it was on the air. And I think, I think it has Voyager, many of my favorite things about Next Generation, which previously was my favorite. Well, there's, Star a, Trek. there's a lot of good stuff in Voyager. And the thing is, one of the interesting things about Voyager, and we may have even discussed this previously, but Ronald Moore, uh, who has known more uh, these days, although it's now been a while, so I don't know what he's known for, but... Specifically, Ronald Moore was known as the person behind the Battlestar Galactica reboot. Oh, okay. Which a whole lot of people liked. I liked it a great deal. I thought it was fantastic, even with its troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really good. And I think it was really good partly because Ronald Moore's uh, sort of production on it and like where he was going with that. And the thing is, he had been involved in, I think, television Star Trek for a while. Mm. But Voyager was when he really sort of started to get to take the helm. And I think especially that started showing up in like the third or fourth season of Voyager. And that's about when shit started to get sort of weird and dark a little bit at times. Like there was an episode. I remember when I like the the first time this connection really struck me was the sort of dumb premise episode where uh, Neelix and Tuvok got merged through some sort of transport or accident, whatever. If you're listening, eventually be making sort of a wanking off motion Mm -hmm. to describe this. But anyway, they can, they get converted into a single life form. Uh, Two licks. (laughs) I think they do do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's some sort of hybrid name for this combination of Neelix, the wacky Delta quadrant chef guy and Tuvok, the black Vulcan guy. They get merged into this hybrid life form who then goes about discovering his existence and sort of getting to know people on the Star Trek Voyager. I think that's what the ship's called, the Star Trek Voyager. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so this, this hybrid life form who is both of these guys combined into a single new life form gets to know a bunch of people and there's this big moral dilemma because like he has functionally replaced these two other beloved crew members who are part of the status quo and notably part of the you right. know paid cast of the show. Right. One one of whom is beloved. Yeah. Well well, I don't know. People people like Tuvok, people like Neelix, different people maybe like different ones. Gosh, nobody likes Neelix. Well, but the point is Neelix was a status quo member of the 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 cast. So they get merged into a single guy and you know watching this as like, you know, a self-aware viewer of television that there's no way that they're going to uncast both of these major actors and cast whoever this new person playing this hybrid is like, there's no way it's going to happen because that's not how TV works. That's not how syndication works. That's certainly not how Voyager works. Despite the fact that Voyager could have been a show where they bucked those trends. So, you know, at the end, this is going to get fixed somehow, but it doesn't get fixed in the star Trek way where there's some sort of like deus ex machina, Deus Max Axina, mm-hmm. I think is the Latin phrase. Right. Deus Max Machina. Uh-huh. So there, the, 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 the next generation version would have been big moral dilemma. Picard and Riker and maybe Troy have tense conversations about the moralistic 
territory. And then the third act comes along. They start to try and figure out a plan. And then something steps in that forces their hand where they have to just do whatever the one available solution is. And the one available solution happens to restore the status quo. And there you go. Right. And Voyager certainly did that a lot. Like, I don't mean to give Voyager, like, credit for totally avoiding this trap. But in this episode, what happens is there's this big moralistic dilemma and Captain Janeway uh, talks about this. And Tess, who was, like, Neelix's best friend and sort of quasi-romantic companion. No, explicitly romantic. I, yeah, I, I, on, it's yeah. been a while since I watched it. Anyway, right. so, so there's several people who care about... Neelix and care about Tuvok and also care about the ethical dilemma of this new life form who has his own claim to exist. Sure. And instead of that third act thing that just makes a decision for it, it comes down to someone has to just straight up decide, does this new life form get to live or do we split him back up into these two life forms we know? And Janeway is just stuck with this. And the last two minutes of the show is her just like in the transporter room where they're going to fix it, making the call. And she says, split them up and they split them up and she walks out of the room and she looks fucking devastated because mm. she just decided to kill a guy to save the life of two other guys who didn't exist technically at that moment, but they should and they could. And so she made them alive again by killing this other guy. And she's just, she, she, she makes the call and she looks fucking knocked over like it, like you should, if you actually were in the position of having to solve a trolley problem, Right. And they roll credits and that's it. And that's it. That's the end of the fucking episode. And that was, <laughs> and then it says, you know, executive producer or producer Ronald Moore. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica right there. That was like, that was the fucking, if you want to line to the heritage of that excellent science fiction show that came along a few years later, that's it right there. That's when Ronald Moore was like, bitches, I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think you you uh, strike upon one of my favorite things about the show is that it it does it. There's many episodes where the entire cast doesn't just get to wash their hands of what just happened. Yeah, and Next Generation, for all I love about it, pretty much is a show about uh, a, a crew of effectively perfect moral agents getting into idealized situations yeah. and then showing the audience how to perfectly handle them. Next Generation was a series of, of highly instructional morality plays. Right, exactly. Deep Space Nine was when they started to say, what if everybody <laughs> didn't get along? What if you couldn't solve everything every time? Right, well, right. What happens next if you have to live with the last decision? Yeah, and then Voyager says, what if you strip away the support base for this? And that's the thing that frustrates me so much about Voyager is it had this huge promise. And then despite a lot of episodes that did things like what I just talked about, where there was this interesting, like it's a moral dilemma that there's no solution for. You just mm -hmm. have to make a call. The show did that a bunch, but then it did not stick with it. And this is the thing that frustrates me so much about it is it could have been an amazing series of science fiction stories that tell in part the story of the accumulation of moral debt across years of difficult decisions hmm. and instead it just sort of like shat the bed on a lot of those like for every memorable episode that had a really great morality play that really said oh there is no good solution and things are hard and people will die and you have to just make tough decisions 
Desoishes. Yes, desoishes. Desoishes, the, as they call them in the future. You have to make tough decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Language drifts over <laughs> right. the centuries. That's understandable. Uh, for all of those interesting dilemmas, they would just like rewrite shit. Like at one point, there's a guy, Ensign Harry, Harry Kim, who remained mm-hmm. an ensign for like the entire seven years. They were trapped in a foreign sector of the galaxy. Uh, ensign Kim remained Ensign Kim. Another guy got court-martialed for fucking betraying the ship and the crew and Starfleet. And then he got restored and got promoted. Mm-hmm. Harry Kim, still an ensign. Harry Kim, that guy's best friend. <laughs> There's some serious fucked up shit with Harry Kim. <laughs> But the most fucked up thing I at all. I don't think Harry Kim stays in Ensign the entire like series. In the last season, like in the last episode, uh, he gets a promotion. Anyways, Something like that. Harry it's, Kim's a fucking weasel anyway. I don't like that guy. Well, the, the and rightly so, because here's the flip side of Harry Kim is at one point they end up like visiting a shard of an alternate universe, like a, a parallel universe. And the actual Harry Kim from Voyager dies. And then parallel universe Harry Kim comes over to the Voyager of the proper universe and stays there. And no one ever talks <laughs> about it ever again. They fucking replaced him with a clone from an alternate universe. No one ever discusses it. Like the next episode, hey, Harry, how you doing? You still an ensign? Fuck you. You know, that's the whole thing. <laughs> that's it. And it's amazing. Like, like this is the fucking storytelling that comes out of the syndication model, which Voyager was maybe the last. I th- I honestly think you're just holding comparing Voyager subconsciously to Deep Space Nine and saying here's why it's different than my no, favorite. No, show. I mean I, I think it's interesting that Voyager because I think that, on some of that stuff. Yeah, it, but I, I mean you can't say that Voyager didn't swing for the fences a lot. And that, it did. I, I think, think it that did that's a lot what's of interesting really, things. really good. I think Voyager got a lot of shit, and some of it was undeserved. And it's and it's funny because Voyager has the single worst character in all of Star Trek in Neelix. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think there's a fucking contest. I don't think there's anyone even playing in the same league as Neelix, as far as intolerable fucking characters who make uh, yeah. you cringe. And there's not an episode that he's not on screen for at least five or ten minutes. He is. He's argue- so fucking well, I present. Don't think that's true. He's I think, fu- I think, I think he's was- in it. I've been watching this for the last several months. I would be curious. He is really there. I would like to test that empirically because I feel like there were a lot of episodes where he was just sort of briefly there. He's never he's never not in the episode. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting question. He's usually in the episode more than the plot asks for. And often he gets his he gets his own entire story in the episode that has nothing to do with anything and is really intolerable to watch because he's a really intolerable person. I don't actually want to defend Neelix, but in Neelix's you know notional defense, (laughs) Uh he was the only person in the cast from the fucking Delta Quadrant other than Tess, and then she went and fucked off after a few seasons. Right, and yet he never does anything of any use. In well, he's sense. like a fucking season one, he does. From the in season in season one, he's a he's kind of a guide. He yeah. kind of shepherds them through some of the things they don't know. It just never happens I again. He's just he's folded just into long, the cast. He's just hitchhiking at that point. He's, like, he's just it. hitchhiking and making people food and wearing the clothes that he fucking wears. Well, but then, and saying the stupid fucking shit that he says and having his emotional breakdowns so, every. So fucking here's the thing: minutes. Neelix is like the cook in Voyager, right? And he then, is the cook in Voyager. And then in Enterprise, there's also a chef, but you never see this chef. Right. You haven't finished Enterprise yet, right? No. Fuck you when you find out who <laughs> the chef is. Okay. I'm just, I, 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 like, I don't, I'm not going to spoil things more aggressively than that, but let me tell you, when the only time you finally find out who the chef is, you are going to want to punch who the fucking, like, 
drywall of your apartment. Okay. As well, a nonviolent person, you will be moved to violence. Back to what I was saying. Um, so Voyager, the show, yes, has the uh, by far worst character in any Star Trek ever. I'm glad we didn't spend like ever. 40 minutes talking about Metal Gear Solid Five because I'm glad we aren't <laughs> annoying anyone with a lengthy discourse on a niche so, nerdy so, subject. The has, uh, I think, probably inarguably the worst episode of any. Star is this the Trek, one? Oh, geez. Where they go warp 10 and turn into lizards. Oh, God, yes. Oh, it's so it's worse than the <laughs> Next Generation episode where that sort of happens. Yeah. Which it's, is something. Someone watched that episode of Next Generation, <laughs> the, the terrible episode where people revert to animal state. And they're like, you know what? This didn't go far enough. We got to go farther with this. <laughs> this didn't we go gotta, too far enough. We got to literally go to like, like regressive <laughs> lizards fucking is where we got to go with this. Right, Paris, your favorite character you just mentioned, uh, it turns into a lizard and then... He's bad. He's not a good character. Turns the captain into a lizard and then they have lizard babies. Yeah. And then, speaking of that never coming up again, <laughs> that never comes up again. <laughs> Harry Kim raised them as, as, yeah. as orphans. Right. Oh, the original Jesus. Harry Kim stayed behind yeah. on the planet yeah. to raise the That's lizards. That's why he died. He killed himself to get children. away from the orphans. So, worst character, um, worst episode... And, uh, you know, pretty high number of misfires, really. Yeah, no, it was... I, but I think you could make... I the, honestly think that it's... Voyager might be the Star Trek I, I pull out of the burning house if I have to pick one. Oh, Because it's know. really... it When it's good, it's really good. And Next Generation had two or three episodes per season where they were really swinging for the fences. And I think Voyager has about three times that in the, in the, that are successful. Because I think they're they're being really really ambitious. They already know what works and what doesn't work. And there's almost not a single episode where it's just like talking heads in a diplomacy room, and that's the whole show. Oh, so and that's like sixty percent of Next Generation. The Next episodes. Generation is undoubtedly slow paced and sort of dull and safe. Like mm-hmm. I, I like Next Generation a lot. I have a lot. Safe of is a really good cast. adjective. Yeah. But it is, it's undeniably safe in a way that none of the follow-up seasons, none of the follow-up series were so safe. And I really appreciate that about all the follow-up seasons, the mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Shows, you could just say. Yes. Shows. <laughs> all, all the further entrance into franchise. Yes. That flows off the tongue. <laughs> but can I say series instead of season? Uh, no, no. I, I agree that, like, they definitely learned from Next Generation, and Next Generation was a weird sort of bridge from the original series, and in that way reflected it a lot in how it was shown, and was definitely deeply embedded in the syndication format in the way that I feel like the later entrants in the franchise uh, were starting to recognize, at least, that they were moving away from that, even if they couldn't actually escape it. Uh, and I'm kind of excited about the idea of a new Star Trek series because I feel like whatever else is going to be weird and compromised about it, it will at least be aware of contemporary television in a way that none of the previous Star Trek shows were able to be. Mm-hmm. Like even Enterprise that got sort of interesting in its willingness to be really sort of narratively episodic in the last couple seasons in particular, it still felt like it was a product of that. Sort of sure. Time. I mean, I think you're holding again. You're holding a show to the standard of Deep Space Nine, which is deliberately narratively no, no, episodic. Here's the, here's the thing. I think Deep Space Nine was legitimately remarkable for being as episodic as it was. Totally, but I don't think it's to the detriment of another show to not do the same thing that Deep Space Nine did. No, no. I, I and here's uh, I, okay. I'll give you this. I definitely favor Deep Space Nine partly for being iconoclastic at the time that it was aired, because Deep Space Nine is a show that has all kinds of problems as well. And like for all its like you know narratively episodic nature, it still had shitty episodes 
and it had a lot of shitty episodes yeah and you know it it could have been a much better show but it showed that promise early in a way that i do respect like here's the thing you could look at if you sit down and watch 2001 the kubrick film you could look at it and say these effects look at what we can do now a lot all of this could be done better. The pacing of this is slow. It's weird and stilted. What's with all the classical music? What's with the slow shots? Like these are all legitimate <laughs> aesthetic criticisms you could make of 2001. Sure. Even outside of being a fucking Philistine for not respecting how amazing of a film it is. These are all things you could say, but at the same time, this was a film that was made in like the late sixties pre moon launch. You can't separate it from its context in which it was fucking stunning. And that's the thing. Deep Space Nine has a lot of problems as a show, but it was, in fact, a stunning piece of work for network television during the age of syndication. That is ballsy. That is, like, crazy to have accomplished that even in this, you know, sort of hand-wavy, sometimes compromised fashion compared to, like, like Voyager came after it and was so much more a product of syndication. Right, but, it, I mean, that's... you. you I'm not disagreeing with anything you just said in favor of Deep Space Nine. I'm just saying you have to use a different yardstick than no, I know, the I one know. yardstick of like how just, how serialized is the show. I'm just saying like you can't look at Voyager and Enterprise and say yeah, but and not acknowledge the fact that like they clearly regressed to some extent on that front from Deep Space Nine in terms of like you can you can say all you want for the ambition of individual episodes, but that's <laughs> saying hey, this guy had a great script rather than this show had some kind of coherence to it. Because they, they were both more incoherent <laughs> than a show that came before them in a context where coherence was not something particularly prized by, by networks or showrunners. So Sure. I don't know. I don't know. That's a thing. That's a Boy, thing. Boy, do I have feelings, it turns out. It turns out. Um, I am really actually looking forward to uh, watching more of Enterprise because I want to know what you think. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think you should go back to Voyager. I we, I gave Voyager a really fair shake and actually enjoyed a lot of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it got a short got but, a short uh, shrift. It still had a, there. It was really I, I I will I will I will put a button on it. That's a phrase, right? I'll put a button on it. Sure, something, something like I'm going to put a button on it. Yeah, put a button on it. And I'll just thing. say this: Voyager had a lot going for it, and that is why it's so disappointing that as a whole product, it had so little going for it in the end. It was served very poorly in terms of the potential it had. To be Deep Space Nine. That's not a Deep Space Nine thing. It's it's a fucking... Oh, you son of a bitch. Should we take a break? Sure. We should take a break. Okay, let's take a break. Do you think we should take a break? Let's take a break. What do you think about taking a break? I hate it. Do you want to... You know, anyway. I don't never want to take a break. Do you want to take a break? No. You want to, no. You want to take a break? No, none of that. You want to take a break? You want to take a break? <laughs> And we're back. Jesse has just disclosed in the course of a uh, off-period conversation <laughs> that he used to be a quote award-winning speed reader. Well, and I, I only need won. To know what the w- fuck, this is about because this is exciting. Won, I only won one award. That's <laughs> one more than almost everybody's ever won for speed reading. Tell me about the speed reading situation. It was just in elementary school, there was a uh, the MS Readathon, which was a uh, Microsoft. Uh, no, it was multiple, multiple sclerosis. sclerosis. It was. Wait, what? Yeah. It was a elementary school-based fundraiser for uh, multiple sclerosis treatment. 
And the idea was you would go out and you would find people who would finance, um, like pledge sponsor. Yeah, like this was like this was like a a, a runathon or walkathon. Exactly. Yeah. For reading. Right. So, you, like, I guess in a in a walkathon, you people pledge for how many miles or whatever they pledge to, or like give a you, quarter for every quarter mile you sure, walk. Or sure. Whatever. Yeah. So with the readathon, you um you got people to pledge for sure like how many how many uh. I think it was like f- every 40 pages was like a point or something. Okay. Um, it could be like a dollar for every 40 pages you read during some period. Yeah, but it wouldn't, it would be less than that. It would be like five to 25 cents, like 50 cents Fucking was cheapskates. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, what based on the length of the thing, it I actually sure. added up to something. So I doubled down on this and I, you know, was just checking books out from the library. I would check it out, read it, return it, check it out, check the next one out, read it, return it. And um, I ended up winning the, I, I got the trophy for the most in California. How much did you read? I don't remember. What so was this, the, this was what, fifth grade. Was this so. like a week or a month or a summer? I think it was two weeks, maybe three weeks, something like that. That kind of that scope. And I was just, I just powered through. I, I couldn't, I mean... I didn't have TV. I didn't, you know, have friends. Right. You were in fucking Ukiah. You were like, what are you yeah. going to do? So, uh, like, so and, and it was all I did anyway was read books. So um, I just, uh, yeah, I just, I plowed through as aggressively as I could, um, thinking that was the right thing to do. And I guess it was. So I had a trophy. I was supposed to, um, I was supposed to throw out the opening pitch at a baseball game. <laughs> really? Yeah. Supposed to implies a sad end to that story. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't a big baseball guy. <laughs> No, it's the, there was a mix up with the tickets and I got tickets to the wrong game. And so you got tickets to the wrong game that you were supposed to. Th- oh man. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that is a fuck up. That is a serious fuck up. So what happened was there was one uh, baseball game in which uh, no one threw the first pitch. They, they, called, they, they, called, they called out for me to come down and throw the first pitch and no one was there. So like 2000 people remember the time that you fucking stiffed a baseball right. game. And then another time I show, I was there at a baseball game and uh, they just, I just got to watch this the baseball game. This is fucking Frey Cafe at XOXO all over again. This is the worst. <laughs> I that I mean that's it. I was a really good reader, and then now that I'm an adult, I'm just a lazy piece of shit who watches uh, Star Trek all day. I have I have the same. Exp- so here's the thing. This came up because I was talking about Dune uh, during the break. Yeah, and uh, I've started a Dune book club on Metafilter, where we're just going to read a, a another Dune book every month. Is the mm-hmm. plan? And I've read all of them, and I've read the first couple like a few times. So uh, here, here. Let me tell you everything I know about Dune. Yes, I want to know. Uh, Frank Herbert. Yes. Wrote Dune. Yes. And at least one or two sequels. Yes. Until passing the torch to his son. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there is another. Is passing the torch a, a, a code phrase for dying and being besmirched by? Because what I, happened is I they, think so. Frank Herbert wrote six books, and the first book is a classic. Okay. And the next book is sort of like a coda to the first book. Children of Dune? Dune Messiah. Dune Messiah. Sort of the story of Paul Muadib after the jihad set up in the first book. None of these words mean anything Yeah, and then the third book was Children of Dune, and that was where his two children sort of get involved in the politics of Dune, and at the end of the book, his son Leto II, named for his father Leto, uh, ascends the throne. Okay. 
And then the fourth book is God Emperor of Dune, which takes place 3,000 years later, and Leto II is still the central character, but he ended the, the third book by wrapping himself in a skin of sand trout. Sand trout are the sort of larval form of the sand worms who are the giant worms of Dune. And the sand trout coating started to genetically modify him. And he spent the next 3,000 years turning more and more into sort of a weird hybrid human sandworm and also ruling the entire galaxy. And then he dies at the end of the fourth book. Spoiler alert! And then the fifth and the sixth book are sort of about the fallout of that in the next couple thousand years. Okay. So those are the books that Frank Herbert wrote. And possibly, I haven't read in too much detail about this, but possibly the fifth and particularly the sixth book, Frank Herbert sort of wrote while he was dying because he was like, hey, I'm writing these books. People publish them and I get paid a bunch of money and I got a family, so I want them to have money. So okay. you could you could argue that the the later... The last couple of books were maybe sort of like Raul Julia in Street Fighter, the movie. But I think it was like, I still think they're really interesting books. But then he died. And in there, also his friend uh, Ed McNelly organized a book called The Dune Encyclopedia, which I love. And I consider like part of the core Dune books, even though Herbert just wrote an introduction saying, hey, this is great. I like this. Uh, this guy wrote a bunch of books around the era of God Emperor of Dune about the events of the last 20,000 years of the galaxy because Dune takes place way in the future, like 20,000 years from now. Uh, and it's there's a huge amount of really interesting world building uh, about sort of the history of the galaxy and the politics and the morals and the technology of, of the galaxy in that whole meantime. So he wrote this great book called The Encyclopedia of Dune that touches on a bunch of the stuff. And then Herbert wrote a couple more books and then Herbert died. And then Frank Herbert's son, Brian, uh, inherited the whole thing essentially and started writing really fucking terrible prequels and rewrites, uh, with some other guy. Uh, and they basically actively disowned and decanonized the Dune encyclopedia and forced the aging Edwin McNally or Ed McNally to, issue a joint statement saying that his Dune Encyclopedia was bullshit and not canon. And the whole thing is just like so fucking weird and sour and wrong. And Brian Herbert's idea of like Frank Herbert's backstory is all really dumb and kindergarten and tinker toy and giant robots instead of philosophical. That it's like, it's like, it feels really obvious that like it was a kid who was like, Hey, my dad was an author. I could be an author too. I'll hire this other guy to co-write with me and we'll fucking tarnish entire, you know, classic franchise. But do you have an opinion about this? No, no, no. no, no <laughs> okay. I'm pretty neutral on the whole thing. But anyway, so yeah. I, how did we get on this? I just got I don't know. I, st I started saying the three <laughs> things I know about Dune and then uh, as fuse so blue that's, in that's, your brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I've been rereading those and they're good. Okay. And if you're interested, I, I would encourage you to to try reading them. I, I don't know. I've never seen any of the movies either. Well, there was the there was a David Lynch movie in 84, right. which was classic and also classically a flop. And I thought really visually interesting, even though it was kind of a shitty adaptation of the actual novel. Right. Uh, but a really interesting movie. And then there was the miniseries. Yeah, which was sci-fi. And that was a little bit more true to the actual stories. And uh, then there was Jodorowsky's Dune. 
Yes, which never got made, but I need to see the documentary still. And that's the one thing I've seen yeah. of Dune is I, Jodor- the documentary really Jodorowsky's gotta, I, Dune. I gotta watch that. Which is fucking lovely. Yeah, no, it's like fucking, yeah, there was a <laughs> lot of shit in there that was really interesting sounding. I wish that yeah. had happened. Anyway, uh, so you should read Dune sometime. And the other five books. Yeah, it's, I, I got all my reading out of my system oh, when I was well, young. Okay. Well, there you go. Um... <laughs> I feel like I uh, I feel like I went off on a little bit of a tear there. I don't know. I don't think of, you did. A little bit of a no. A little bit of a thing. No, no, I don't uh. really think so. <laughs> I don't think I accidentally you know, struck a weird it's, vein. It's, it's it's the spice melange. It extends rants. It uh, elongates angry dispositions. There is one more thing I know about Dune. Tell me. The spice must flow. It must. It really, really got to fucking flow. <laughs> it's really spice, got to. Don't fuck with the flowing of that spice. Yeah, you're that trying spice to... is going to flow, and if you're not with it, <laughs> you're against it. Yeah. You're fucking... Keep that spice flowing. Um, flow that shit. Over a year ago, you, me, and uh, mutual hero Brad Sucks yes. sat around and recorded an episode... At that time, I mentioned to him and to you that uh, my partner Whitney and I were watching the Star Wars films in Machete Order. Yes, yes. Just mere moments before I left to come here, we finished episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Over a year later, we burned through New Hope, Empire Strikes Back in, in a couple of days. And then it took us over a year to get through episodes two and three. Why did it take long? Just because they're so terrible? They're, they're so shit? fucking difficult. It's so difficult to make the decision to put that on, especially after you've just played an hour of it and then fallen asleep during it and then woken and then up go back to it. and just yeah, been like, like oh, where did we stop? Yeah. I, oh, we got to rewatch a portion of this. I, you have to rewatch a portion of it. I hate saying it's so difficult. <laughs> Sand, it's, it's it so gets rough. everywhere. Like not like your skin. Your skin doesn't get everywhere. Your skin stays coherent. You have a you have a coherent manifold of skin. It's so hard to these movies are so difficult to watch. I've, and I, you know, and I, I'll tell you, I, I I'm going to cop to this. Um, I thought that they weren't as bad as people said. I feel like when they were still in of, theaters, they aren't as bad as people said. Think yeah. pieces since then from people who haven't sat down and fucking watched them again. I just rewatched them. They're worse than you. They're, they, they George said. Lucas is a terrible fucking director they and writer. They are a fucking He's travesty. so bad. There's not a single line in the movie that doesn't make you just want to rip your skin and off thing, your body. Have you seen Hayden Christensen in anything else? No, I haven't. Because he's actually a totally good actor. He's is fine. He? He's been good in stuff. He's just shitty when a shitty director is directing him. I know there's lots of great acting. Uh, Done by the people in that movie yeah. in other movies. <laughs> it's 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 really fucking remarkable. It's I mean you see like, anyone you see in that movie you've seen in a good movie you're just like I don't understand what's I happening. I feel like here. I feel like George Lucas is like he's he's like some sort of weird superhero with a like negative energy power. Like if if the government could figure out what his actual superpower is, they could use him to solve international like conflicts by just putting him in there. Right. Like 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 he could they could send him to Syria to make a biopic about a heroic plucky kid from like a a, a Russo-Syrian background, and like Syria and Russia would like get together and say, "We've made a terrible mistake, Turkey. <laughs> that that fighter jet you shot down, we can't blame you. Everything's okay. Let's just let's all go fucking home." It's a nightmare. Um, the movies are are nightmares. They are 
I mean, what can you say that hasn't already been said a million times? Yeah, they're just bad. They're not good. George but Lucas is a bad filmmaker. He's a bad filmmaker who got no lucky good, very bad many things. years ago. Um, and I thought that would be a nice way to bring it full circle. Uh, we'd, we're now, tonight, when I get I, home, once I leave here, once we hit stop on the podcast, I head home uh, to my loving partner. We were going to watch Return of the Jedi and forget oh, we thank ever God. watched thank God. Are you going to watch two and three. Like, like, like a restored version? We're or? watching Harmony's Despecialized Edition. Excellent, because fuck that like CGI yub-nub fucking yeah, yeah. coat on the special edition shit. I, I want to bring it more full circle. Oh, sure. And say we were talking about Voyager and the terrible character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neelix is clearly the Jar Jar of Star Trek. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I mean, like just... Fucking right, and, and, and anything it's, that toddlers are in favor of has no place. <laughs> um, it's 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 a good comparison, also just because like technologically they're both pretty like compelling. All else being equal, right? Jar Jar was the first like main character in a Hollywood film, completely yeah. computer rendered as a technological achievement. That's great, but you you, you, you and you, Neelix, like if you actually look, I mean. Whitney and I dork out on the TV show Face Off, which is like There's project a TV pro- show Face Off, or is it unrelated? No, unrelated. Oh, it's, I am a secret defender of the movie Face Off. If there though. was a whole series of Face Off, that would be amazing. No, it's it's because basically how would come up with that. It's a reality episode? show. It's like Project Runway, except for like makeup artists. Oh, okay. And um, the guy uh, whose name I can't remember right now, and I feel like an idiot. Ted Face Off. Yeah, Ted Face Off. Um, he he did. Uh, a, Almost all of the special makeup effects in Voyager, uh, Deep Space Nine, and I think one other, but um, something McNamara. I, anyways, I can't remember his name. Um, General he, McNamara? Yeah, General McNamara. The one who wanted to set up nuclear mines. So I, the- like now every time I see a Star Trek like prosthesis, facial prosthe- prosthetic, um, I really like admire the workmanship that went into it. Um, this is another thing I really love about Voyagers. They have some really ultra ambitious like facial prosthesis. Yeah, no, I will give you that. They, they definitely started sort of getting more into the, hey, what if alien life didn't just look like slightly fucking <laughs> Right, with, with ridges in different places. Yeah. What if everybody um, had a slightly different nose and forehead, right? You know, that's... And then you look at like the paint job and like the facial structure on Neelix and it's actually pretty impressive. Yeah. It's not perfect, but uh, but yeah, in the same way that Jar Jar was like technically a great achievement and uh, the mere sight of him makes me want to throw up. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird juxtaposition there. Yep. Uh, one, one more to put a button. Yeah, put a button on, on it. it. Uh, yeah, sew a button on this jacket. Uh, when I first watched some episodes of Voyager when it was first airing, um, as something resembling a kid. I don't remember how young I was, but you know, I was like in my youth, mm-hmm. I say now as a mid thirties adult, doddering uh, old man. I remember having a huge crush on Kess. I think, yeah. And Kess, the thing Kess is, is re- not well remembered for some reason. Yeah. Re rewatching it. Like I sort of kind of got where I was coming from, but it didn't like, I wasn't like, Oh man, now I remember why it's really? a crush. Oh, like I, I was like, I, I liked her, but yeah. like it wasn't, it wasn't quite, magical or anything. I was kind of like, Oh, I sort of see what was there. But at the same time, I also see why people were kind of annoyed at her as a character. I think she's one of the better actors in the show. Oh no. I think as an actor, she was yeah. good. And I, th- I think the character was just sort of poorly written and poorly treated by the writing. Well, she was poorly treated by the way that she was shacked up with Neelix the whole fucking yeah, time. Yeah. Well, which you can kind of understand because the whole idea is she's like this, this like short lived, relatively naive character. And right. so like, the idea of Nick's Neelix as a fucking arrested development man child idiot. Yeah, but also like yeah, fairly like affectionate and you know 
uh, like, like you could sort of see the, the two of them working together. You know, I, <laughs> you have stronger feelings about Neelix. Like I didn't like Neelix, but you clearly have stronger <laughs> negative feelings about him than I do. It's like, yeah, Neelix, what do you do? I wouldn't hug him. If I walked He's into a, a room and he was there, yeah, he no. would go for the hug. He would. He, he, he is, would go Neelix for Neelix is definitely a hugger. <laughs> He's a hugger. Okay, so question. Sol- solid snake, hugger, yes, no? No. Uh, liquid snake, hugger, yes, no? No. Uh, naked snake slash venom snake, hugger, yes, no? <laughs> no. Replacement, replacement liquid, or not, replacement naked slash venom snake who's actually some other guy who you designed during the first mm-hmm. hour of the game. Mm-hmm. Hugger yes, no? Uh, before before his memory was erased, maybe. But after no? After no. Identifies too much with, with the big boss? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, quiet, hugger yes, no? Uh, you know, it takes a couple years to warm up, but then uh, she'll hug you. Okay. Uh, if she likes you. Um, the guy who lost his arm and his leg, hugger yes, no? Skullface? No, no, no. The, 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 oh, the, the, Miller. The, Miller, yeah. Yeah. The guy with sunglasses. No. I don't uh, think there's a lot of huggers yeah, in this I, series. I think, I think that's a fair thing to say. I think it's kind of a non-hugging series. Metal Gear is not a Maybe hug, the challenge is to find, think of the person who is a hugger. Maybe. You know, that, 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 that one blonde girl who you maybe optionally rescued, did you rescue her? The girl who was like in Peace Walker? And this, once again, we're talking about Metal Gear, but I'll keep it brief. Did you rescue the girl who was like the blonde girl who was like... Yeah, well, you have to play Ground Zeroes before any of this is going to make any sense. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, I, and I haven't played it. And that's I the bridge. It was just, I thought it was just a Peace Walker thing, but right. her name is like Paws, right? Yeah. And I thought they were saying her name was Boss, and she was like the original blonde lady who was boss in oh, Metal Gear no, 3. No, and I was no, like, what the no. fuck is going on? This doesn't make any sense. And anyway, <laughs> let's stop talking about that. It doesn't this make is, sense, but in different I don't ways than you're not making sense. Yeah, so anyway. Um, I guess I, I just want to say, uh, I don't know what I want to say. I feel like we should put a button on it. Cheers. Let's put a button on it. Let's let's cheers. Let's. That's the beer. The beer cheer. That's the beer cheer. The beer cheer. All right. Well, it's it's been excellent talking to you, and... Uh, this has been an episode of this podcast. <laughs> Apparently so. All right. 